0: This is Mallory Nye, and welcome back to the Religion Bites podcast series. This is episode 18. In this episode, I'm going to be taking up some of the introductory discussions that I explored in episode 17 just before, where you may recall I was talking about how to think about what we're doing in the study of religion according to the gloves we choose to wear or to not wear. In this episode, I'm going to be taking a slightly different metaphor, but exploring it as a means of delving deep into the issues, the questions, about where the idea of religion in particular comes from. And as I mentioned in the last episode, I'm back in the recording studio at the University of Glasgow, School of Critical Studies, so really pleased to be in this new recording environment. And as hopefully you're aware by now, the Religion Bytes podcast is supported by a website on religionbytes, that's all one word, dot XYZ, where you can find not only the, um, the sound files to download and listen to, but also the um, show notes, details, and uh, useful links that come from the discussions in each of the episodes. So do go over to that website if you want any more details on anything that's coming up from the discussion today. So, my starting point for this discussion is quite simple. Can we say, is religion like chocolate? Now, saying that, I don't mean us to make an analogy that is literal. Of course, religion isn't chocolate, and chocolate isn't religion. There are similarities, though, especially when we, when we start asking questions of what actually is the chocolate that we're so familiar with. For me, the most typical thought I have about chocolate is probably a bar of probably milk chocolate, such as Cadbury's Dairy Milk. But, of course, chocolate comes in many other forms and brands. Thus, there are things like Thornton's Chocolate Boxes, which are good for Christmas, birthdays and Valentines, of course. There are bars of confectionery chocolate, candy bars such as Mars or Snickers. There's M&M Sweets, Skittles even and also more specialist chocolates such as Lint or Green and Blacks. And for those listeners in Scotland, you may be familiar with the the chocolate of the Tunnock's Tea Cake, not chocolate through and through, but a a chocolatey snack that is well-loved here in Scotland. And, of course, chocolate can be enjoyed in a liquid form, not just in a solid form, usually taken with milk and or cream in the form of the hot chocolate drink. So, if this is making you hungry, well, try to resist that for a while and explore some of the questions that come from not just simply from thinking about chocolate, but thinking of how we can draw certain, we could say, theoretical analogies between these two things, chocolate and religion. And my starting point for this really is, did chocolate actually exist before the year 1492? 1492. This, of course, was the year when Christopher Columbus, as they say, sailed the ocean blue and, as they say, discovered America. And it's common knowledge that Europeans first found out about chocolate because of that, when not just Columbus, but Spanish armies invaded. That was largely what the discovery was about, when the Spanish invaded the New World, following 1492, in the late 15th and early 16th centuries. It's also fairly commonly known that something that is related to the chocolate that we now know, that this was in use by various people of the pre-European America, particularly the Aztec and Maya people, and others, in Central and Southern America, before the time of the Spanish invasion. That is, there's evidence of Americans, native indigenous Americans, consuming chocolate for thousands of years before the European presence. Records, archaeological records in particular, go back at least three and a half thousand years for this, but perhaps much longer than uh, even that. The substance that was consumed, perhaps called jocolate in the Nahuatl language of the Aztecs, was a drink that used the powder of cocoa beans, the specific beans from which chocolate is derived. These cocoa beans had been cultivated in Central America for a long time, thousands of years again, obviously related to the eating of them. And raw, uh, uncooked, they have a naturally bitter taste, but it was discovered, probably from a long process, that when fermented, roasted, and then ground, they make a well-loved drink. They make a nice powder, which can be formed into a drink. And this drink could be sweetened with honey and or flavoured with things such as vanilla or chilli, or mixed with maize to make what is still a distinctive drink of Mexico, very popular in Central America, the Tejate drink. Alongside this, the the dried powder of the ground beans may be added to food, famously made in what is known as the chili con carne dish, or it can be eaten as a form of snack in itself, as indeed may be the unground beans, as a um, sort of nibbling snack. Although all of this may share something in common with the commodity that Europeans call chocolate, there are also some significant differences. Indeed, the solid chocolate that is so famous and indicative of chocolate globally didn't come into being until the 19th century, when a Dutch chemist called Konrad von Houten developed a specific technique for processing cocoa beans to separate its products, that is, the cocoa butter from cocoa solids. A series of European and American entrepreneurs, people with the names Nestle, Fry, Cadbury, Roundtree, Lint and Hershey, may be sounding familiar here, then went on to develop this further, to create forms of solid chocolate that stored and shipped well, but had that typical melt-in-the-mouth chocolate experience and sweet taste. Now, from our experience of all the chocolate that we've had, from Tunnock's tea cakes or Mars bars or chocolate box selections or milk chocolate bars, most people in Scotland and across the world probably have a strong sense of what chocolate is. We know chocolate when we see it, or more likely when we taste it, and we know when something is not what we would think of as chocolate. And, indeed, for many, chocolate is more than simply the food itself. It's a way of life, or a way of enjoying one's life. Although the Mexican forms of chocolate, the drink, the ground cocoa beans, etc., may be made from the same source material, they aren't what most Europeans would call chocolate. My point here is not to make you an expert on the history of chocolate, or even to point you towards extending your palate. Instead, the history of the idea of chocolate is somewhat similar to the history of how we think about religions. Chocolate became chocolate through colonial encounter and appropriation. Spanish armies invaded lands in America, and in the process they found new foods and other consumables to try. Things such as potatoes, tomatoes, sweet potatoes, maize, tobacco, and of course cocoa beans. These were not neutral botanical discoveries. They were part of a process of military invasion, land appropriation, political imperialism, and the development of economic appropriation for personal and state enrichment. A lot of wealth was made from the development of these cash crops in America, commodities such as tobacco and cocoa and other crops, some of which were taken over from the old world, such as sugar. Most of that wealth was transferred to Europe, and kept in the hands of European colonialists. Alongside this, most of the labour for this was forced, through the kidnapping and brutal exploitation of either enslaved indigenous Americans or otherwise transported and enslaved Africans. When slavery was abolished by the British in the 1830s and other European powers in subsequent decades, new forms of exploitative labour were developed for the harvesting and production of cocoa beans. When we think of the major chocolate manufacturers, we think of Cadbury's, Lint, Nestle, etc. These are European producers of a crop that was harvested in America and also now in Africa as well as America. Since following European colonisation of Africa in the 19th century, cocoa chocolate was taken there for commercial development and is now a major producer of the beans. In short, cocoa beans existed before European colonialism as did derivative products from those beans, such as cocoa powder and cocoa-based drinks. But the thing we assumed chocolate to be was created, developed, and economically controlled by particular European individuals, rulers, and businesses. And after 500 years of European colonialism in America, it is very hard now to find any form of chocolate that exists beyond what Europeans have made chocolate to be. This is where the analogy with religion comes in. Religion, in particular the idea of religion and religions of the world, is equally something that has emerged from similar histories of European colonialism. To explore this analogy, it's probably easiest to follow European colonialism in a different direction. At around the same time that Spanish ships, explorers and armies were sailing west over the Atlantic Ocean to what they then decided to call America, Other Europeans were heading east rather than west. In particular, the Portuguese, who were rivals to the Spanish and vice versa, sent Vasco da Gama on a number of colonial missions around the edges of Africa and across the Indian Ocean to India. By the middle of the 16th century, Portugal had become a dominant power in the region. In Asia, there was no chocolate or cocoa beans, but there were plenty of spices, pepper, cinnamon, nutmeg clothes, and so on, which, in their own ways, were worth their weight in gold in European markets. Eventually, the Portuguese power declined, and this was replaced by power exerted by other Europeans, particularly the Dutch and the British. Each of these colonial invaders found cultural practices that they found somehow familiar to what they thought they already knew. Thus, the Portuguese found in India people who considered themselves Muslims, like the Moors of North Africa and the Arabs and Turks of the Eastern Mediterranean. There were also communities of people in India who considered themselves followers of a Christian tradition, that is, the Thomists of the Syriac Church, which had been brought to India many centuries before. However, the Europeans also found people whose religions they didn't recognise that they had no way of placing within any prior context. It's only with hindsight that we now say that these people were Hindus and Buddhists. When the Portuguese ships arrived in southwest India in the early 1500s, which of course wasn't a unified country at the time, the Indians were not particularly impressed by these new arrivals. They certainly didn't go rushing out to them to say, Hi, welcome to India, we're Hindus and Buddhists. The people that the Portuguese encountered and who they went on to subjugate didn't use such terminology about themselves. Instead, it was through a process that took several hundred years that the European colonialists came to think about the many different groups they encountered and went on to politically control as being Hindus and Buddhists, belonging to systems, religions that were Hinduism and Buddhism. There were many different, extremely diverse traditions and cultures that came to be systematised under the name and identity of being Hindu and being Buddhist. And just like religion, as a singular, which is seen as a universal aspect of human culture, just as that is not a thing in itself, neither are particular religions, such as Hinduism and Buddhism. These also are not things that exist in themselves. That is, Religions aren't like cocoa beans, they don't exist in the world waiting to be named by Europeans. Instead, religions are more like chocolate. As we have seen, chocolate came from Europeans taking a particular local product, a thing called hocalate, made from processed cocoa beans, and changing it into something quite distinct, which was very palatable, industrially processed, and commercially marketed on a global scale. In a similar way, the various experiences, traditions and contexts across India became developed over time during the colonial and later post-colonial eras. What we now see and think about as natural and ancient religions have in fact emerged at certain specific times and locations in the context of colonialism. And just as we love the chocolate that we have created because of its textures and sweetness, We learn to love the idea of unitary religions such as Hinduism and Buddhism because by studying and classifying them as such, we've made them comprehensible. To conclude, let us take this analogy one step further. Let us take a hypothetical possibility with chocolate. We have seen that bars of chocolate, the chocolate that we know and love, are made from the processing and commercial manufacture of cocoa beans. Let's imagine that a new plant is found, or an existing one is developed, that can be manufactured in such a way to produce something very similar to cocoa-based chocolate. That is, perhaps European chocolate makers may find something different, say the bark of a tree in Southeast Asia, that can be cooked in a certain way to make us think it's like chocolate. Its taste, its texture, its appearance, its sweetness, the pleasure of eating it are all so much like chocolate that it is as good as the real thing. In fact, it's so much like chocolate that a major chocolate manufacturer starts to sell it in purple packets under the name chocolate. Is this new hypothetical commodity still chocolate, even if it isn't really chocolate, since it's not made from cocoa beans? I hope you see where this is going. To make it plain, the analogy suggests that if it looks like chocolate and tastes like chocolate, then it must be chocolate. It doesn't matter that it's not really the same as the chocolate that we're used to, that is, cocoa bean based chocolate. And so, similarly, we, that is, Europeans, have found certain things, traditions, customs, cultures, outlooks, from very different parts of the world, and have chosen to condense them all into a single category. In fact, into two categories religion as a general human experience, and religions in the plural into specific religions, such as Hinduism or Buddhism and so on. When we try to work our way through this analogy, though, we do need to keep in mind that religion, as a category that is put onto various contexts, isn't a thing in the way a bar of chocolate is a thing. Instead, religion is like the idea of chocolate, something that has value and meaning to us because we associate it with specific things that we perhaps like such as eating a bar of chocolate, or giving a box of Thorntons to a loved one, or memories of being given a Tunnock's tea cake by your mum for a treat. This is the power of the idea of chocolate, and this works in a similar way to how we think of religion, or, in particular, the idea of religion. We generalise our category, based on our own particular experiences, rooted in our cultural location, and extend it as a worldwide category, applying it to contexts and situations that may be very different to what we think they are. And so, no matter how powerful the idea of chocolate may be to us, we must remember that there was no concept of chocolate in European contexts until cocoa beans were brought to Europe from newly invaded territories. There were no cocoa beans, very little sugar, and it took a long time for chocolate as a commodity and an idea to become what we think of it today. It came to us out of a very particular history. In contrast to this, at the time of early European global colonisation, during the era when cocoa beans were first discovered by Europeans, there were very significant disputes going on in Spain and among other emerging colonial powers about issues that we now talk about as a religion. That is, although there was little talk at the time about religion in the sense we use it today, During the time that chocolate began to become meaningful in Europe, religion was the source of major conflicts between European powers. That is, the 16th century was not only a time of early colonialism in America and Asia, it was also the time of violent upheavals about religion, the time we think of as the Reformation. So, going back to and stretching the analogy, Imagine that at that time Europeans already had some beans that could be processed into a solid that deliciously melted in the mouth, which they called chocolate. And so they liked it so much that they fought each other, exerted power, tortured and executed others over it. It was the basis of much of the political system. Indeed, it was the politics that structured much of daily life. And then, as these Europeans expanded their political interests and began to establish new empires across the world, they found different things that seemed to be like their beloved chocolate. From there, they established that all the different forms they found were different variations of the universal thing, chocolate, which they then classified into different types of chocolates, to make it easier for themselves to understand all the differences. And, just as this chocolate was the basis of the politics of Europe, by using the classifications of chocolate in other places, they found this understanding of chocolate helped them to rule and exploit others. I hope you get the point here. Religion isn't like chocolate, but the ways in which we think about the idea of religion are similar to the ways in which we think about the idea of chocolate. And the ways in which we think about religion as a common human experience across all humanity through particular religions, have come to us from particular historical processes, just as chocolate, and in particular the idea of chocolate, has come to us again through such historical processes. So, that's all for today. Thanks for listening. And of course, again, a reminder, for more details of this episode, do go and have a look at the Religion Bites website, on religionbytes.xyz. You may also be interested on another podcast series I run called Histories, Inc., which can be found on histories-inc.com. I hope you've enjoyed the discussion today. Food for thought, as they might say. And I'll be back again with another discussion about issues in the field of the study of religion and culture in the next episode. I'll see you then. Bye for now.